0: morning. It is so great to see you here today. My name is Mike and I serve at our West Chicago campus. As we grow in our faith, that process of discipleship happens in relationships. And one of the best ways to connect is in a group. Right now, groups are launching at all of our campuses. There are online and in-person options and groups that meet at just about every day and time of the week. You can go online to find a group that's right for you at wheatonbible.org slash groups. If you're not sure where to start, life groups that begin with a rooted experience is a great option to explore. Over the 10-week rooted journey, your group will develop lasting connections and build a common foundation. You'll be discussing questions like, how does God speak to us? Where is God in the midst of suffering? And how can I make the most of my life? Rooted groups also complete a serve experience together. At the end of your 10 weeks together, we gather to recognize all God has done in our lives through a special time of celebration. Get connected this year in a group. Our annual All Church Business Meeting is coming up on January 31st, hosted at our West Chicago campus. At the meeting, members will approve our 2021 ministry financial plan and vote to confirm elder nominees. This year, you'll need to register to attend to help with our COVID precautions. You can get the details, elder nominee bios, and absentee ballot information online at whedonbible.org slash annual meeting. Everyone is welcome to attend, but please register ahead of time. Well, that's all for today. Thanks so much for spending part of your weekend with us, and we hope you have an amazing week.
1: I want to welcome those of you who are online, those of you who are watching from different places around the country, maybe around the world Uh, this morning, those of you that are here with us today. It's a beautiful uh, snowy day in Chicago, a wonderful evidence of God's beauty in nature that points us to his beauty of his character and we have been praying that God will use this service to speak to you and to bless you as we come together to worship and to study God's word. That's why we exist, that's what we do on Sunday mornings and want to invite you to join us week after week to invite friends, family members to celebrate the goodness of the grace of God and Jesus Christ with us. Now today, at the very beginning, we are going to welcome a a group of new members to Wheaton Bible Church, but because we're in this uh, pandemic, we have to do everything uh, differently, so you're going to see most of their pictures and their names on uh, the screens behind me. Um, These are real people who really are joining Wheaton Bible Church today. I want you to know that. And so we want to welcome them. We want to honor them. They've gone through our membership class. They've agreed to our statement of faith. They've done that uh, via Zoom. And now today is a wonderful day as we unite together together as the family of God here at Wheaton Bible Church. So join me in affirming them, let's do that. Now would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your son, for this incredible privilege of being able to come together and to worship unhindered. And we pray for um, our friends and family that are online as well as those people that are with us this morning. And I just ask, as I said earlier, that you would bless us by your spirit. We are here because we want to know you better. Uh, we want a healing spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, And we ask that you would speak to us and you would reveal your son Jesus to us. And we pray in his great name. Amen.
2: Amen. Before we start our singing, we have a special note for those of you who are joining us from home. We want to encourage you to get fully involved in these services, to use the preludes, to reflect and to prepare your heart for worship, to stand when we stand, to sing with us, to recite the readings aloud. I know when I'm at home, it's very easy to just sit back and watch church which we know is not what any of us want, right? We want to be involved and we want to use it to worship. And so even though we can't all congregate here in this room as a full congregation, we are dependent upon not only here, us here at, here in the room, but all of you at home as we join together to worship in spirit and in purpose. So with that, let's stand together and pray to continue our worship. Oh God, our resurrection and life, the promise of your new life in Christ is like a breath of fresh air in a dry and thirsty land. We have gathered as believers and as those who are honestly seeking the truth. Guide us in our worship this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. city of God is ahead of us. Are we excited about that? Amen. (laughs) We can set our hearts and our minds on what's to come in the midst of all this unrest in our country and in our world, and especially maybe the unrest in each of our hearts, which constantly are waging war against the sin that can so easily entangle us. We praise God that he has ultimately won that victory for us in Jesus Christ and yet we constantly are are fighting against it. Let's take a moment to reflect now silently in our own hearts, and then we'll pray a responsive prayer of confession together. Let's pray together. God of grace, we confess that we have elevated the things of this world above you.
3: We have made idols of possessions and people and used your name for causes that are not consistent with you and your purposes. We have permitted our schedules to come first and have not taken the time to worship you.
2: We have not always honored those who guided us in life. We have participated in systems that take life instead of give it.
3: We have been unfaithful in our covenant relationships.
2: We have yearned for, and sometimes taken, that which is not ours, and we have misrepresented others' intentions.
3: Forgive us, O God, for the many ways we fall short of your glory. Help us to learn to live together according to your ways through Jesus Christ our Lord.
4: church family. We have uh, two special celebrations and recognitions this morning because we gather together with churches all over our country today to recognize Sanctity of Human Life Sunday and tomorrow to recognize Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Now, as a church, we believe these days are deeply connected They're deeply connected because of what they represent um, of, of God's heart for our church and for his world, because these two days together remind us that all humanity is created in the image of God, that every human being at every stage of life, at every age, every human being of every race, color, ethnicity has inherent value, beauty, and dignity, amen? Now we believe these truths because they're deeply rooted in God's word. We find from the first pages of scripture in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 to 28, that mankind is created in the image of God. This is the most incredible foundation of beauty and worth made in the image of God. David in Psalm 139 praises God saying, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus reminds us that um, the overflow of loving our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as we keep journeying through Scripture in some of the last pages of Scripture, we read in Revelation 7-9 that in a vision of heaven, God's glory that before his throne, there's a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of God and worshiping. And so that's God's image. And so today, as we recognize Sanctity of Human Life Sunday Church, we declare again that we stand for the unborn and the image of God in the unborn. So while we stand against the practice of abortion, we also stand for life. For women, for expectant mothers and parents, for families dealing with unplanned pregnancies. And we long to be a church where women and families in crisis would find connection, would find help and resources. And we want you to know that if you're worshiping with us today, if you have had an abortion, we are for you. God is for you. And we pray that here at Wheaton Bible Church, you find care, community, recovery, and the hope and healing that God has in life with him. But the image of God, again, does not stop in the womb We believe there's inherent dignity, value, and beauty in all of human life. And so in recognizing Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we declare this morning that we stand with and for our black brothers and sisters. And for people of all colors, races, and ethnicities in seeing God's beauty and awe-inspiring creativity showing up in the world. So this is why we stand against racism in every form, personal and systemic as it degrades and does not acknowledge or celebrate the image of God in one another. And so this morning we long for and we cry out to God for his help and his guidance in growing as a church that seeks his heavenly vision of reconciliation, justice, restoration, love, and understanding for one another that comes from our Creator. And in the beauty and value of all human life, we as a church stand for the vulnerable and under-resourced. We stand for the immigrant and the refugee. We stand for our neighbors and the image of God all around us. And so before I close us in prayer and lead us in prayer this morning, I want to remind you we make these statements as beliefs. But God has given our church incredible partners, both locally and around the world, to live out these beliefs, to serve generously with our time and our resources. So from Puente del Pueblo and Outreach Community Ministries, serving our under-resourced neighbors, to the Gospel Justice Initiative, offering legal aid and help and world relief, serving alongside immigrants and refugees and safe families which in recent years has offered an incredible 550 plus nights every year for children in crisis who have found safe havens in the families of this church. And so if you wanna see that list goes on and on, you can find all of our partners, get involved, or give directly at wheatonbible.org volunteer. And I also wanna invite you to consider Uh, giving a uh, one-time or regular and recurring gift here to Wheaton Bible Church because that generosity flows far outside the walls in valuing the dignity of life around us and around the world. Amen, church? Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we, uh, we come before you. We need you. We need your wisdom, your strength, your courage, Father. It's your presence that is gonna overflow to value, to see, to celebrate your image in our neighbors. So today, as we reflect on the sanctity of human life, we ask for your voice to speak up for all who cannot speak for themselves. We pray for your protection over the unborn, and we ask for your heart, Lord, and your presence, Father, because your presence will bring renewal among your followers in every neighborhood and your churches and every community and we pray that there would be renewed hubs of care, support, and resources for expectant mothers, for families in crisis, for all seeking healing and restoration. We pray that you move in our midst, Father. And as our nation tomorrow celebrates the life and leadership of Martin Luther King, Jr., we thank you, Lord, for leaders like Dr. King and countless others who seek to shed light on the deep and dark sins of racism and inequality, and to call your people, God, your church, back to your heart for justice and freedom. Because you, Lord, you flipped notions of justice all around. When justice demanded that we in our sin, having fallen short of holiness, would forever be separated from you, you sent your son, Jesus, to receive just punishment in our place. So help us to see and live in your systems of justice. Help us to seek repentance, forgiveness, understanding, and reconciliation as people who are secure in the knowledge that you fully understand us and have still reconciled us to yourself. So we pray this morning, Lord, that you would move in your church and may your church be a place where the vulnerable find refuge and safety. And may your church be a place where your justice and your mercy reign and your people all worship you in unity for your glory. Amen.
2: Let's stand and respond with one song.
1: Let, my, let me, I should say, add um, my amen to what Kyle had to say about where we want to position ourselves as a church, where we see ourselves going as a church. Uh, we want, as followers of Jesus Christ, to be people that love our country, honor our leaders, but at the same time mourn our sins and seek to work for justice. So we mourn abortion, we mourn euthanasia, we mourn the increasing minimalization of life. And we mourn the fact that we in the Church of Jesus Christ have become known for what we're against rather than for what we're for. And stepping into the lives of women—say, women in the inner city of Chicago, women in the suburbs that are faced with very difficult choices—and we stand as a dis at a distance rather than bringing them into our homes. And we mourn racism. We mourn the systemic racism that was endemic in the South from the 1900s to the 1970s with the Jim Crow laws. This is recent. And we seek to step beyond that and to proactively live in relationships with people of a variety of ethnicities, loving our brothers and sisters, as Kyle so, uh, articulated so very well. And that's our vision for what we want to be about as followers of Christ here at Wheaton Bible Church. Now let me transition to where we're going today. We are in a, a series on these final hours that Jesus had with the disciples and what is called the upper room discourse. It begins in John 13 and goes all the way through John 17. Now all of us have had very difficult nights. Uh, Sometimes it's sleeplessness or sometimes it's a child with a nightmare. Or it's anxiety, or it's physical pain, or it's, it's grief, or it's a hundred of uh, other different things, and it creates a, a very difficult sleep experience for us. But this one night was one of the most awful in human history. There was a thunderstorm brewing in the heart of Jesus, category five hurricanes in the hearts of the disciples. It was the awful night before Jesus was crucified. And because Jesus Christ was not merely fully man but also fully God, Jesus knew every detail that was coming. And as an act of love in order to prepare his disciples, if you will, for a softer landing, he began In the final days and weeks of his life, his earthly ministry, to tell the disciples, hey, I'm going to be killed. Hey, I'm going to be crucified. And then when we come to the end of John chapter 13, where we looked uh, last week, Jesus drops two more bombs. And by the way, you, my disciples, I want you to understand that my star disciple, Peter, is going to deny me not just once, not just twice, but three times. And then, in a statement that overwhelmed the disciples, Jesus said, and I want you to know, I am about to leave you. Now, don't misunderstand. The disciples had come to believe in Jesus. They had grown over the last couple of years to see that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that Jesus was God in the flesh, But their expectations for Jesus were different. And that's where we get into so much trouble in our relationship with God. It has everything to do with our expectations of what God should do. You see, they expected Jesus to set up his kingdom on earth. Jerusalem is the capital. Vanquish the Roman occupiers. And they, the disciples, would rule with Jesus. And their lives would suddenly be a lot easier. And now Jesus is talking about being killed and Jesus is talking about Peter's denial and Jesus is talking about leaving them and and it's all evaporating for them. And the disciples suddenly are struggling to get oxygen. Just like you and me, when God changes our plans, shatters our plans, So what we want to do today is look at what Jesus says to help these disciples in the midst of their uh, deep trouble, their their confusion, uh, their mortification, if you will, Uh, what Jesus says to calm their hearts, what Jesus says to reassure them. And so now we move into John chapter 14, and I want you to stand with me out of respect for God's Word as we read the first four verses, just the first four verses of John chapter 14. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's acknowledging their pain. It's a statement of love, of empathy, of sympathy. You believe in God, believe also in me. No, Jesus puts himself on equal footing with God. It's a statement of deity. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. And you know the place where I am going. You may be seated Uh, and now we don't necessarily expect this coming, but what Jesus does is he responds to the trouble brewing in the disciples' heart, these hurricanes. He responds with a promise. It's like what a a mom or a dad would do when a young child is awakened in the middle of the night with a nightmare and the parent rushes in as the child is screaming and crying and the parent says, I promise you there are no monsters under your bed. Here, look. And they get down and look. And the parent says, I promise you everything is okay. Do you see the wall? We're just on the other side of the wall, and I'll come back and I'll help you if you need me to, but I want you to go to sleep now. And the child goes to sleep. Jesus is doing the exact same thing here. He's making a a promise Now, why can a mom or a dad say that to a child? Well, they can say that because they know things the child doesn't know, and that's exactly the same with Jesus. So Jesus is saying, even though you won't see me, I'm going to be just on the other side of that wall. I promise you I will never abandon you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to prepare a place for you that you might be with me. And his point is, if you believe it in trouble, if you believe it when you're confused, if you believe it when you're in pain, notice he uses the word believe twice in verse 1. Then you have found as my people the secret sauce For remaining untroubled in trouble. Now this promise, which takes up really the first three verses that I want to focus on here, actually is a promise with three parts. They cascade, they build on one another. So the first thing Jesus is going to tell the disciples, and we'll take these in order, is that you will have a new home. Believe that. And your new home will be with me in heaven. And the road to that new home is through hell. Not for you, but for me. So let's start with this first part of this promise. You will have a new home. And let's look how Jesus says it. He says, my father's house has many rooms. Rooms is an important here a word in the discussion. Uh, commentators have a lot to say about this word. Rooms essentially means place. It has nothing to do with size. It has nothing to do uh, with call, quality. And in this context, place means or room means home. All the commentators seem to be agreed on that. And so Jesus is elevating this incredibly uh, important notion of home. Researchers, by the way, uh, tell us that there are few things more potent, few ideas more potent in life than the idea of home. It's why homelessness is so devastating it's why a, a child who doesn't have a, a, a stable home will often struggle with attachment, a feeling settled. Little Luna is a beautiful five-year-old Latino girl, and in the early years of her life, she bounced from one house to another. And struggles because of it. 18 months ago, one of our daughters and her husband took Luna in. And this is important for us to understand. This is a a part of the sanctity of life that we care so deeply about. Uh, They took Luna in as a foster child. And on Wednesday of this week, the court in California ruled that my daughter and her husband will be able now to adopt Luna. And boy, did we celebrate, thank you. Boy, did we celebrate on Wednesday. They actually found out they're gonna be able to adopt little three-year-old African-American Jaden as well. And it's a big deal, why? Because Luna and Jaden now have a home, a place they're wanted. where where they're loved and where they can begin to heal. Do you see what Jesus is doing with the disciples? He's offering the disciples home, the promise of home, as central to remaining untroubled in the face of overwhelming trouble. Now why? Why such a big deal about home? It's not actually what we would expect uh, Jesus to say here. And the answer has become home is the one place where you feel like you belong, where you feel like you're accepted, uh, safe and secure, and on and on. Little Luna never had that. Little Jaden uh, never had that. It's a home as a place of well-being and contentment. Now Jesus knows what's ahead for these disciples he's speaking to. He knows how difficult and horrible their lives are going to be, that they're going to spend the rest of their lives wandering as his apostles, preaching and teaching, uh, counseling and healing and on and on. And he knows that by the power of the Holy Spirit, these deeply troubled, deeply fearful 11 men will launch the church of Jesus Christ from scratch. And Western civilization will never be the same. Jesus knows that they will be rejected, that they will experience all sorts of racism. He knows that they will be tortured. He knows that they will be martyred, but these 11 men will finish their assignments in the face of overwhelming violence stress because what Jesus promised worked like it always does when you believe it Jesus doesn't promise their troubles are going to go away Uh, they won't ours won't Jesus promises them a home a a future home Uh, Now let me uh, uh, say this uh, for us today. You may live in a beautiful home, a a beautiful townhouse, a a, a beautiful condo or apartment. And you may have great views and it may be so very well appointed and uh, everything you love is uh, in there. Uh, But I want to say to you that that townhouse or uh, those views or your appointments and the way you have decorated will never satisfy your longing for belonging. They will never heal your anxiety. They will never heal your anger. Uh, they will never heal your feelings of alienation and, and loneliness. But the home, I'm promising you, Jesus says that I'm going to prepare for you will, because it's your true, it's your ultimate, it's your real, it's your eternal home. And by the way, notice Jesus doesn't just say to these disciples, now if you get your act together, because I know how troubled you are, then you can come to this home. No, Jesus says to them, because you are my disciples, it's guaranteed. In spite of uh, no matter how troubled your life, no matter how troubled your heart, what a beautiful promise. Jesus is saying... This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And I have come to deliver, to deliver you from your feelings of abandonment and alienation. So serve me and watch what I'm going to do. Because when you arrive, the first thing you will say is this is what I've been looking for all my life. The earthly home uh, my daughter Kyle and her husband Eric are providing for little Luna is a picture of the heavenly home that Jesus is promising here. And if you believe it and you press it into you, It's life-changing. It's a game-changer. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe. Uh, So that's the first part of this promise, and now let me go on to the second that builds on this, and that is Jesus promises that your home will be with me in heaven, will be with Jesus in heaven, but let me uh, uh, comment parenthetically for a couple minutes here because I want you to see the, how Jesus describes this. Notice the first three words. Jesus says, my father. That this home is my father's house. Here, Jesus is assuming the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'll come back to that. But when Jesus describes it as my Father's house, Jesus is implying something that I don't want you to miss. Jesus is saying the most foundational thing about God isn't merely that he's the creator or the ruler, and he is, but that he is a father. Father. And the gospel is the good news that in and through the work of Christ, I mean the death of Christ, uh, the moment we believe Jesus' Father becomes our Father. And with Jesus, we pray our Father in heaven. I love the way the Old Testament captures this in Psalm 103. I love the use of metaphor here in the picture, and life is full of metaphors, full of pictures. As a father has compassion on his children, well, guess what? So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He is a father who overflows with compassion. He's a father who is full of compassion. Being a father isn't God's day job. It's who he is down deep for you, toward you. And to the extent you see God as the creator of all things, the ruler of all things in history, uh, the one who is sovereign over all the situations of your life as your tender, loving, compassionate Father. Jesus is saying you will remain, you will remain untroubled, in trouble. So I want you to see that the very first thing Jesus does when he's talking about heaven is he says it's my Father's house. My Father, who is infinite in his love. And that brings us back to the point. Uh, uh, What is this room? What, What is this home? Well, this home is where we will be with Jesus. Now, this is emphasized in the second, in verse three. I will come back to take you, now here it is, to be with me, with me, with me, that you may also, and he says it again differently, that you may be with, you may be where I am. Now, there's lots of different ways I I could go on this. There's a lot of different things to say about being with Jesus, being with Jesus in heaven, but I agree with others who have said, what we really want to focus on here, what's so very helpful, is to see that Jesus is telling us heaven is a place of love. I mean, Jesus says, you will be with me, not across town from me, it's not like you're going, bumping into someone in the grocery store. Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in years. Hey, Jesus, it's been a long time. No, no. We will share a home with him. We will be with him. We'll share a fire. We'll share a yard. We'll share um, a family room. Who knows? And because Jesus is the definition of love, and because God is our Father who is full of love and and compassion, we conclude here, verse 3, that heaven is a world of love. A, a, A world of love. Yeah, I mean, after all, it's love that makes a house a home. And so uh, Jesus is unpacking something that's really important. Now, I want to apply this, and I want to take some time to apply this second point, and I want to apply it by talking about death. And you say, what, Rob? And I say, yeah, isn't death? On the mind of everyone here in this upper room discourse. I mean, in, in these last hours of Jesus' life. And I want to suggest to you that what Jesus is saying here is I just don't, uh, I don't just want you to be untroubled at the prospect of my death, I want you to be untroubled at the prospect of your death. Because one of the greatest gifts I give my disciples is not being afraid of death. Because death is is not the worst thing that happens to us. Next to our conversion, it's the very best thing uh, that happens to us. Because we will go to be in the presence of Jesus in a way that we are not now. And when you believe that, You will be untroubled regardless of what's going on around you. D.L. Moody was a legendary evangelist in the city of Chicago a century or so ago. He's the man behind the name behind Moody Bible Institute, Moody Radio. And as he was dying, he said to the group of people that were gathered around him, soon the newspaper will say D.L. Moody is dead, but don't you, don't you believe it? I will be more alive than ever before. You see, when you die, you don't leave the best part of life, you leave the, the worst. I mean, the suffering, the sin, the sickness, the, uh, the death, and you move in uh, to the radiance of the glory of God in the presence of Jesus. I will come back and take you to be with me so that you might be where I am. It's a relational statement. It indicates that heaven is a world of love. And believing this, hear me, believing this is what makes us different than the rest of the world as followers of Jesus Christ, because we do not fear death. Now, of course, we mourn leaving family, friends, unfulfilled, uncompleted assignments, but we don't fear. We don't fear death. Because you know, as you go through that dark door, You go into a world of love. Now, when someone I knew was dying, she used to uh, say, every day I have to think of something to be thankful for because the thought of leaving my children is overwhelming. And then she would add, but after all, I'm going to be with Jesus. And I get Jesus. Pastor Lon, as he was dying, used to say the same thing to me. Only he would laugh as he said it. Over the years as a pastor, I've had so many conversations uh, with people who love Jesus. I mean deeply love Jesus and have no fear of death and say, Rob, this is wonderful. And I I often come into the room or uh, go to be with them or or talk to them and and the first words out of my mouth are, man, I'm so sorry. I know how, how hard this is. And they cut me off and say, Rob, stop it. all I have to do is go through one stoplight and I'm with Jesus. Can you say that? Do you believe that? Now, let me talk about the Trinity for a moment because the Trinity is underneath this concept of heaven being a world of love because according to the Bible, God has always and will always exist in a united mutual love, an infinitely tender, incomprehensible love where the three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, pour love into one another continually. In unimaginable degrees of joy and power and creation is the overflow of the love of the triune God. Uh, Just as children are the overflow of a love of a a husband and and a wife, You see, heaven isn't a stadium where God will address us. It's not a large bus where he's going to take us on a tour. It's not a classroom where he's going to merely teach us. Heaven, according to Jesus, is a home where he will be with us. And the joy and the satisfaction of that will be unending And I don't know about you, but the the older I get, I can't wait. Now, this is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, look at this, and I'm going to say something. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way. Paul says, quoting Hosea, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Do you see what Paul is doing? He's mocking death. He's making fun of death. He's saying, death, you're no big deal. Can you say that? Can you believe this promise? Let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a a place for you. And so press this into uh, your heart that you live vertically, or will you choose to live horizontally? And be overwhelmed by your circumstances, your anxieties, your fears. This is the biblical reality. This is ultimate reality. Death has no victory over us in Christ. Death has no sting. Heaven is our home and we're just passing through. And what Jesus is doing is saying, understanding that is a game changer. So we have this promise that Jesus will never abandon us, even if we can't see him, even if things are are, are goofy in the world around us and and in our own lives. And this promise has three parts that you and I uh, will experience a new home. That new home will be with Jesus in heaven. And then third, to get to that home, the road is through hell for Jesus. For Jesus. Now let's look at what Jesus says here. Look at these two verses. Jesus says, I am going. And then in verse 3, he says, if I go. Twice Jesus says, twice he says, I go. I'm going, I go. And so we ask the question, uh, where are you going? And and the answer is Jesus isn't hopping into heaven to launch a massive construction project. Uh, Jesus isn't going to make sure our bedroom is clean and we all have a toothbrush. When Jesus says, I go, he's saying, I go to the cross. I go to suffer. I go to die. When Adam and Eve turned away from God in the Garden of Eden, do you know what one of the most difficult consequences of their sin was? Homelessness. They were banished from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve fell in sin because they trusted in their own intuition, their own inner impulses, instead of God's revealed word. And that has been the battle for the human heart ever since the fall. It's the greatest battle you and I face as as followers of Jesus Christ. And when Adam and Eve chose to trust in their inward impulses, what did they do? They initiated a downward spiral of isolation, alienation, hatred, racism throughout human history. And I want to suggest to you, this, not politics, is what's killing our culture today. Because we believe in a world uh, in the West, and this has been building for a couple hundred years, where the sacred order no longer exists. So what we're left with in the social order is the dictates of our inward impulses. And so we murder, we hate, we... uh, damage other people. I mean, Adam and Eve's very own son, as early as Genesis chapter 4, Cain killed his very own brother, Abel. And so let me say to you, the more selfish you are, the more proud you become, And success has a way of doing that to all of us. Or the more convinced you are uh, that your feelings and your inward impulses define your identity. Drive the agenda, uh, agenda of your life. Then the more alienated you will become from other people. And the more damage you will do to yourself and to others. Sin always separates. And sin leads to spiritual, relational, psychological homelessness. Dysfunction and brokenness. And I say this because on the cross, Jesus took all that upon himself. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And think about it. He experienced the hell we deserve so we might find a home we don't deserve. And so my point is when Jesus says twice, I go, he's saying I will do the heavy lifting for you because you can't do it. Now, that didn't necessarily compute with the disciples at this point, uh, but it would as they meditate on that down the uh, down the road. Well, let me illustrate this with an illustration I heard recently. Uh, some years ago, there was a pastor in the eastern part of the United States. who was well known, and his wife died. And he was taking uh, his children... Uh, uh, to their mother's funeral, and for the last couple of days, like you do, I've been there, you're thinking of all these things that you want to say to help your kids, and um, that's what he was doing, and he was on a four-lane highway, and then he passed to the left a, a large semi-truck, and as he passed this truck, he passed through the shadow of the truck, and it hit him, And he said to his kids, kids, we just passed through the shadow of that truck as I went around it. Would you rather be hit by that truck or hit by the shadow? And they said, well, hit by the the shadow. And he said, that's the gospel. Jesus was hit by the truck. And when your mother died, She was hit by the shadow of death. She walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but she passed through to the other side, and now she is in the presence of Jesus, who has prepared a place for her. And do you see what Jesus is doing in these four verses, or the three I'm focused on? All he's doing is calling the disciples to share their uh, change, rather, their vantage point. Uh, their perspective. He's saying, don't be a soldier down in the valley, frozen in fear because all you can see is death and stench all around you. No, Jesus is saying, I want you to climb up the hill. I want you to climb up the heights. I want you to see the reinforcements that are coming. I want you to see your future so that you won't live a discouraged life, so you'll live an encouraged life and you'll renew your strength. So Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. And the way is by believing the promise that we will spend eternity with him. And man, do I want this for you. It's a game changer when you get it, when you believe it. Believe in God, believe also in me. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word. I I, am amazed at the tenderness of Jesus here. Uh, the the promises he shares, the the word that he reveals. And I ask God that you would apply your word, you would apply the wonder of what Jesus has done to us uh, in our hearts because there's so much trouble all around us and often in us. Give us the peace that comes to those who believe. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: I'm so thankful for the promise of heaven, aren't you? Years ago, during a difficult time, I found a hymn by Fanny Crosby called, My Song Shall Be of Jesus. And maybe some of you know that one. I didn't know it, I just found it in the hymnal and I, I, um, I, it touched me very deeply. And so I rewrote the melody and I sang it over and over and over. And it was such a balm to my soul then. So I pray that it will be a balm to your soul now as Sarah sings it and we remember that Jesus is coming back to take us home.
3: My song shall be of Jesus. His mercy crowns my days. He fills my cup with blessings, and tunes my heart to praise. My song shall be of Jesus, the precious Lamb of God, who gave himself my ransom and bought me with his blood. Song shall be of Jesus while pressing on my way.
1: Thank you, Sarah. May that be true in our lives, amen? Now, may the face of God shine on you. May the Spirit of God comfort you. And may the love of the Father fill you that we might live above the fray And that we might serve you, God, as salt and light, knowing that our identity is that we are loved by the Father, our purpose is that we love you with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. Fill us by your Spirit to that end. And all God's people said, amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. You guys have a great day.